The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. The holy, uh, the gospel of the Lord. Won't you please take your seats? Let's pray as we begin. Our Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that it is indeed a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. And so we pray now and ask, Lord, that you would illuminate our lives with your word, that you would shine it into the dark recesses of places unknown to us, that we might be transformed by it today. And this we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, happy new year. Let me get that out the way. 180 something people done. Please don't give me that greeting afterwards. It's uh, great that we can start the year off together like this, gathering as God's people. And we come at the start of this year to listen to a sermon series about a sermon. Uh, not any sermon, uh, one of Jesus' own sermons. Chapter six and verse 20, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 3 says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and that does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. So what better way to begin the year than to come back to the teachings and the doctrines, the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ to make sure that we accord with godliness and to ensure that we are not full of conceit, understanding nothing. I want to begin this morning thinking about values. Uh, values are complicated things, aren't they? They're not always easy for us to pin down. On the one hand, there are many in this room with a shared set of values, a shared value system but there are also probably as many values in this room as there are people. We might begin by asking ourselves, well, what is a value? Uh, well, some dictionaries help us in that regard. A value is a person's principles or standards of behavior, one's judgment of what is important in life. 
Uh, a value is something that a person internalizes, maybe through their parents' rules or their parents' value system. Uh, values are the way that we interpret events as they happen to us in our personal lives or in the lives of our city, the lives of our country, or the lives of the world. One dictionary gave this definition to values. It's the things of social life, ideals, customs, institutions, etc., towards which the people of a group have an effective regard. These values might be positive, things like uh, freedom, or education, or maybe even cleanliness. Uh, they might be negative, cruelty, blasphemy, crime, lying, being loose with the truth. Uh, values are the things that you react to. Sometimes you have a strong negative reaction when your value system isn't met. You might feel disgust or have negative reactions. Sometimes when things go the way that you think they should go, you'll have a, a positive emotional reaction you'll be attracted to something, someone, some cause, and get behind that. So what are your values? Uh, what things cause you to have a deep emotional reaction in your life? Uh, our actions are often affected by what we know, uh, but sometimes our actions and our values are affected by what we don't know. Uh, even an apathetic reaction tells us something about our values. You see, your reactions, which are largely caused by your values, tell you deep down inside of you what you hate and deep down inside of you what you love. Uh, some of us hate to be made to feel guilty. I think that's a value that's pervasive in this country and it affects many of our reactions. Uh, some of you value making others feel guilty. It gets really interesting when someone who doesn't value guilt and someone who does value guilt get together and get married. Uh, Fascinating, really. One of the interesting things though, about values is that we're, we're often not clearly aware where they came from. We're not strongly aware of the things that we actually value, and yet they affect us so incredibly deeply. Uh, our values come from our upbringing, from our parents, from our education, from the college that we went to, from the place that we work, from the people that we like. Uh, we're almost like a sponge soaking up values from all over the place. And then when difficult, hard things happen, uh, when life circumstances take place, we get squeezed and the sponge that soaked up those values, those values then begin to come out. It's often only when our values are challenged in some way that the validity of our values become exposed and maybe we even begin to question them. Otherwise, we just sort of stumble through life without ever really questioning or thinking particularly deeply about our values. One thing that you can say for sure, though, about Jesus Christ is that he does challenge our values. He doesn't challenge the nation's values. He doesn't challenge other people's values. He challenges our values. He challenges the values of the people in this room. Yes, he challenges your values. And one of the effects of following Jesus Christ, if you really do, one of the effects of realizing who Jesus Christ is and taking him seriously and him becoming a part of your life is the dramatic effect that he has in reorienting our values, of revolutionizing your values. And that becomes incredibly clear when we come to this sermon this morning. 
Now these things that I've called values, the way in which uh, the, the values that most of us hold are seriously challenged throughout Jesus' teaching, but especially in this sermon. When we arrive at the sermon, it's set in the context of Jesus choosing the 12 apostles. He doesn't just sort of drop the sermon in in the middle of nowhere. Look back with me at chapter 6 and verse 12. In those days, Jesus went up onto the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Uh, This theme of prayer in Luke is something uh, that the author gives special attention to. In almost every case that Jesus prayed, there is some major event that's about to happen in Jesus' ministry. And as we see Jesus at prayer, it's not so much that we see Jesus' prayer as an example that inspires us to pray. It's rather that in praying, Jesus is demonstrating what a life lived submitting to the will of God looks like. That prayer is what determines his life at every point. Uh, You can see Jesus' life and how he lived that life out at each of the major turning points. What preceded it every time was that he prayed to the Father, submitting to the Father's will. That was the way that Jesus lived out his life. So what was the important event that Jesus spent the night praying about? Well, verse 13, when the day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 who he named apostles. Now, it's really easy for us in the New Testament to get confused between disciples and apostles. They're two very common New Testament words. We tend to use them interchangeably, but they actually are uh, demarcating two different people. Uh, Disciples uh, were those who were learners of Jesus. Uh, They took notice of Jesus. Uh, They gradually followed Jesus. Uh, They listened to the things that Jesus had to say, and they seemed to begin to live their life accordingly. By the time we get to chapter 5 of Luke, there is clearly a group of disciples. By the time we get to chapter 6 and verse 13, Jesus chose these 12 apostles from a larger group of disciples. And in verse 17, we discover that there is a very large crowd of disciples whom Jesus is speaking to. They listened, they learned, they kept coming back. Disciple is a very ordinary word that we shouldn't elevate beyond its meaning. Uh, Quite simply, it is one who follows Jesus through listening, learning, and applying what he says. So that on one level, all Christians are called to be disciples. Now the apostles, uh, the apostles were those who had been given authority. An apostle was a sent one. Uh, The 12 apostles were given Jesus' very own authority, almost like an ambassador. The significant event that Jesus was doing in verses 12 to 16 was as he called these 12 apostles together, he was in dramatic symbolism saying to the nation of Israel, your exile is over. I am rebuilding the nation. These 12 represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, These apostles were sent with the authority of Jesus himself, and we need to understand that true Christianity will always be apostolic Christianity. It will always be New Testament Christianity. Yes, we believe that all the law and the prophets find their fulfillment in Jesus. But what we have from these 12 apostles is the written New Testament. 
And so it is with the choice of the 12, the nucleus of the new people of God gathered around Jesus, the king of God's kingdom was now formed and now it was time for some serious teaching, which is what we find in the rest of chapter six. So that sets the scene. He comes down from the mountain, verse 17. There's a great crowd of disciples. There's a great multitude of people from Judea and Jerusalem. There's people from the seacoast, from Tyre and Sidon, and they came to hear him. They also came to be healed from their diseases. Power came out from him. And then in verse 20, Jesus begins to preach. He began with two points in this little sermon that we'll look at today before we branch out into future parts of it in the weeks to come. First, he said in verse 20 that there are those people who are blessed, point number one. Point number two, verse 24, he said, woe. Blessed means that you are the really fortunate ones. Uh, That's what it means when Jesus says, blessed are you. Who is he talking about here? It's not a general statement. Don't hear that blessed are all the poor of the world, all the hungry of the world, all who mourn in the world. We know that because when we look closely at the text, we see that Jesus was firstly, verse 20, looking at his disciples. He looked at his followers, his learners, and he said, blessed are you who are poor. The second reason is that the words that Jesus is using here, if you listen to the Old Testament reading from Isaiah 61, are words that were used by the Old Testament prophets of God's people when they were in exile. The people who had fallen under God's judgment, the people who had humbly come to acknowledge that, they were called the poor and the hungry and the weeping. Now come back and listen to the words of Jesus for they are indeed dramatically extraordinary. First, listen to the blessings. He lifted up his eyes to the disciples and firstly said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. What makes you one of the fortunate, privileged, happy people in this world? Well, Jesus says, not wealth. What makes you fortunate in this world is when yours is the kingdom of God. That is when yours is God's rule, God's reign in your life, uh, God's rule over you. Do you see how strange that is in our lives? I mean, we live in a country that's basically built on the idea that we do not want a king, all right? You can trace history back and kind of work something out to that end. We live in a country that says our entire premise is built on not having a king, not having someone who rules over us. Some might even call that a value. Who do you reckon are the lucky people in this world and what is it that makes them lucky? Our values say those who are wealthy. Jesus says, not so quickly. That's not the first thing that should come to your mind. The first thing that should come to your mind, blessed and fortunate are those who are part of the kingdom of God, who have God reigning over you. He is your king. Secondly, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. What makes you one of the privileged, fortunate people in the world? Having your appetite satisfied? Is it the people who can have anything that they want? Not a thought goes through their mind that they could not satisfy if they so chose? Are those not the fortunate people of this world that can have every craving and every desire met? Those who are hungry for nothing. Jesus says, 
No. The fortunate ones are those who will be satisfied. Those who look forward to satisfaction that you will forget that you ever hungered in the first place. Do you recognize that? To be satisfied now is not something to rejoice in or to be particularly happy about, but to know that you will be satisfied, counted among the privileged ones. Thirdly, in these blessings, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Does happiness now not make you one of the really fortunate people in this world? And again, Jesus says no. But happiness then, such happiness in the future, that will drown out and cause us to forget all the sorrows, sorrows now. There will come a day where there will be no more tears, no more mourning, no more sadness. Revelation 22. Fourthly, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, when they spurn your name as evil. If you're a teenager here this morning, you're like, oh my gosh, where am I? What am I doing here? This is, these are not my people. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. So their fathers did to the prophets. Are you beginning to get the impression that Jesus must have come from a very different background to you? There's very little when you listen to that last part that matters to us more than being well thought of. How would you feel if you walked out of here this morning and looked at your phone and you had texts from friends who told you that they hated you, who told you that you were uninvited from lunch this afternoon, who told you and spurned your name as evil? Would you rejoice and leap for joy as you skip down to climb into your car and drive home? I doubt that very much. Most of us care a great deal about our reputation. I certainly was taught that a good measure of a person is the regard by which they are held by other people. It's important to so many of us that we be held in high regard by others. But once again, Jesus challenges our values and says, no, you may be excluded, insulted, your name might be mud, but you still have reason to jump for joy. Now the controlling phrase, and I hope that you won't miss it, is in verse 22. Just look down there again. Because of the Son of Man. Uh, it's easy for us to not be well regarded simply because of our personalities. And that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Sometimes you just get really difficult people and that's not what this is about. This is about those who because of Jesus are held in this regard by others because they are following him, because they belong to him. And so, when this becomes true of you, rejoice, because great is your reward in heaven. First point then, the fortunate ones are not the ones that you might expect. And so you begin to see that the values are being reversed and turned on their heads, and the values that you and I probably hold to are being challenged. The second point gives us a mirror image of the first. Verse 24, we begin a series of woes. Now, woe does not mean, let me stop my horse. Woe means the opposite of blessing. Woe to the people. Uh, these are the people that you really ought to pity. These are the people that you really ought to be sorry for. Now, because these woes are the flip side of the blessing, they also cannot simply be taken as general statements about all those who are rich, 
all those who are satisfied and all those who are happy. In fact, the but in verse 24 should probably indicate some kind of movement where Jesus was talking to those who were his disciples, who were listening and learning and putting this into practice, and those who perhaps weren't quite there yet. Uh, He's really asking us the question, and I hope that we will all do this this morning and not miss what he's saying here. How do you estimate yourself? First woe, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Uh, Jesus wasn't anti the rich. He wasn't against the rich. He didn't vilify the rich. In actual fact, I think that what this verse shows us is Jesus' great and deep compassion for those with wealth. He says, woe to you who are rich because you have received your consolation. If you measure your privilege by your wealth, then that is all you will get. That is all that your life will consist of. If you live for wealth, you may well get it in this life. You might not, but you might. But that is all you will get. Jesus calls out the huge deception of living for wealth and saying, that's it. Saying those that live for wealth Well, they cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Theirs is not the kingdom of God. We get so much pressure in this day and age and are deceived to live for wealth. But Jesus says, woe to you who are rich, who are not my disciples, who you, for you have already received all that you will get. Think of the greatest wealth that you can imagine, all that they have acquired, That is all that they will ever have if they are not a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is all that their life will ever consist of. Is that worth living for? Second woe, verse 25, woe to you who are full now for you shall be hungry. The problem is if your appetites are satisfied now, that satisfaction will not last. If you had breakfast a couple of hours ago, you're already beginning to think about what is for lunch. We know that just as we live life now. But if you live for the satisfaction of your appetites that this life provides, and you do acquire it, and you are full and satisfied now, in that day, you shall be hungry. That satisfaction will not last beyond this life and one day you will find yourself famished. Woe to you, number three, who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. The problem is that if you see nothing about this world over which to weep, if you see nothing in your own life which is worthy of weeping over, if all you can do is be frivolous about life, crack the next joke, laugh about the next thing, then you will laugh your life away, but on that day you will weep and you will mourn, and the day will come when that hollow laughter will be forgotten, and you will mourn and weep. Verse 26, in the last woe, woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. The problem is, if you live for the esteem of others, if you live for a reputation, you will not stand for God, and you will not stand for God's truth. We deny ourselves and take up our cross and we follow Jesus. If Jesus' reputation in this world is mud, those who follow him, their reputation too will be mud. 
you may have everyone speaking well of you. And I actually don't think it's particularly difficult to get people to speak well of you. But the day will come when that will not matter. Will you rather keep your reputation amongst humans and lose it before the Lord or keep your reputation before the Lord and lose it amongst your peers? The introduction to this sermon of Jesus, I think it's very powerful, but I also think it's very simple. I want you to know this morning, these are not my words, these are his words. They are wonderful words of blessing. They are horrible words of woe and caution. Uh, They cause each of us, wherever we find ourselves in our relationship with the Lord, to stop and think and take stock and ask questions. The values of the kingdom of God turn upside down the values of this world. The call of Jesus' word is, come and follow me. For those who are not disciples listening in, they were being shown what it means. God's reign is coming was Jesus' message on that day. And what matters is where you stand in relation to God's coming reign. Is that something that you disregard and have disdain for so that you live for wealth and happiness and satisfaction and reputation now? Are they the values that determine your response to life, that determine the trajectory of your life? It's not a bad way to sum up the kind of lives that we're pressured to live, is it? Live for wealth and satisfaction and happiness and reputation? Or is God's reign something that has already been received by you? Is God's reign over you something for which you live, even if it means poverty, hunger, sorrow, and unpopularity now. You see, our values really are the measures of our lives. Which word would Jesus address to you this morning? Blessed are you, or woe are you? Not to steal from anybody else's sermons in the coming weeks, but at the end of this sermon, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? and do not do what I tell you. Is his word to you this morning, blessed are you even if you are poor, hungry, sad, weeping, and unpopular? Or would he say woe to you even though you might be rich and satisfied and happy and think yourself fortunate and well-regarded? Would he say you are counted amongst the fortunate ones or you are the ones to be most pitied This morning ought to be a morning of two poles. You'll either leave here greatly rejoicing because you realize that Jesus is saying to you, blessed are you. And I don't mind saying this this morning because it tells us in this passage that we will not be well regarded for holding allegiance to the Son of Man. This morning might be a morning where you need to change an invitation to change because you realize that you are not one of the blessed, fortunate ones. But this morning, you have heard the call, follow me. I would like to make a shameless plug. A couple weeks time, we're gonna be hosting something called Hope Explored. And if you find yourself counted amongst the woe crowd, I'd love for you to come and join us for three weeks on Monday nights as we consider what it means to have hope and as we discover what it means to be part of the blessed life 
of the reign and rule of King Jesus and part of his kingdom. Either which way, go from this place this morning rejoicing or thinking deeply about what needs to change in your life and come to Christ and put your trust in him. Would you bow with me and let's pray. Our Lord God and Heavenly Father, would your word do its work in our lives today? Your promise is that it never returns to you void, but accomplishes all that you've set out for it to do. And so, Lord, we pray that it would accomplish much in our lives today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.